Good evening, listeners. Welcome to Radio Book Club, Hardback Radio on KZMU 106.7 or 90.1 on your FM dial. My name is Jessie. I work at Grand County Public Library, and I am joined by Andy and Sherry from Back of Beyond Bookstore. We are pre-recording on Saturday morning. Hello, friends. Hi. Hello there, Radio Land. <laughs> So, um, as usual, I'm sure we have lots of books to discuss, some really good ones and maybe some stinkers in there as well. But first, let's talk about what's going on at the library and bookstore. Sherry, do you want to start? You know, um, actually, some of the big news has a lot to do with this chapbook. So I think I'm going to hand it right over to Andy and have him kind of give us the lay of the land on that one. Yes, please. Sure. As everyone is aware, about three weeks ago, we had a report of a fire up in the LaSalle Mountains in the Pat Creek area. That started on a Wednesday, and by Friday and Saturday, it looked like our entire mountain range was in conflagration. And it put me, and I know a lot of others in our community, in a state of paralysis of not knowing what to do and how to reach out to whether it's the fire community or the folks in Pat Creek. And speaking for myself, I ended up trolling social media. And it's not my favorite medium, but it provided some amount of solace in that I saw a lot of my friends and neighbors and a lot of people I've never met in this community who were writing some beautiful pieces on the LaSalle Mountains and the fire and the effect. And I just began taking screenshots of this. Simultaneously, Sherry began thinking about some sort of community event that the bookstore might be able to host. And Sam also at the bookstore began thinking about how we could put all of this together. And very quickly, uh, very organically, this idea of a chapbook came about, a term that's somewhat archaic, 19th century, but it's an artistic putting together of poetry, prose, and thought in almost ephemeral type publications. And so it's kind of a pop-up publication in 21st century terms. And the bookstore staff came together along with uh, designer Allison Mathis and Steve Boudelier at the Canyonlands Copy Center. And within a week, we had this little chap book that's about, I don't know, four by six inches, about 40 pages, compiling words and thoughts. And we introduced this at a community gathering at the bookstore about 10 days after the fire began. And it was a simply an opportunity for the community to begin the healing process. And I wanna read something out of this chat book that uh, they're all beautiful and they're all coming from very different perspectives, but it was a chance for uh, purveyors of words to begin healing through words. And this is Laura Boroshevsky's poem. This is thousands of acres of uncontrollable burning. This is the LaSalle mountain range, Ute land, 
home to the piece of my heart that still looks to the mountains to find her way. This is where many folks who live here find refuge in the hottest summer months. To me, this is peace. But now, this is four burned homes and our community displaced. This is a night we're all going to go to bed thinking about how much damage we will find in the morning. This is the result of irresponsible campfire usage. This is government failure to put up a fire ban asking instead for prayers for rain. This is pain. This is heartbreak. This is devastating in a way I have been privileged not yet to know. This is a community who gives literally everything to hundreds of thousands of visitors a year. This is what we have to show for it. You may not care for in the middle of a famous desert, it's only the mountains that are ablaze, but this is our home and you let it burn. Hmm. One of about 20 essays included in this little chapbook. And if anyone is interested, it is posted as a PDF on the back of Beyond Books website. And the Grand County Public Library has a copy of the chapbook for reading. We printed 100 copies, so it's a limited edition. You actually cannot get a physical copy anymore. All 100 are out there in the world um, doing their thing. And one thing I will say, you know, um, this was a labor of love and having the, having the event was, was really special to be able to gather uh, those that really needed to see their neighbors and uh, stand up and say, you know, something, uh, be able to share their thoughts and feelings. So um, it, it's also kind of a testament to the power of gathering uh, bookstores, libraries, places where we still can gather as community and um, share in this way. And so, you know, thanks to our gathering centers too. <laughs> wow, that's really wonderful. It's, um, we're, the community is grieving, like we have lost a friend, like it's like a beloved character um, is gone. And we know the mountains will likely rejuvenate. They will never be the same, never be the same as they were. Um, fortunately, fortunately nature will, will will heal eventually, but I just think that it's really powerful um, that you guys created a space for the community to come together and, um, and, and process and mourn the destruction we, of this beautiful place. One thing we didn't realize what we are doing is a term called solastalgia. And uh, Molly Marcella from KZMU news programming did a report not on, only on the event, but she reached out to a social scientist from Northern Arizona University who has studied this effect of, especially during environmental destruction, communities coming together in a very organic, spontaneous way of support. Mm. Solastalgia, brand new word to me. I love it. I just wrote that down. That's going to be a, add that one to the to the toolbox, that's wonderful. Well, are there any other um, bookstore events that you guys would like to mention? 
Uh, no, nothing on the horizon as far as events. We're still seeing, you know, great numbers of folks coming into town and don't know if we'll get as much of a down uh, July as we have in the past, but, um, you know, people are out there. They're done being cooped up, I think. They're, uh, everyone has discovered nature and we are sitting within nature. <laughs> so, so I hear. <laughs> but it's really heartening to, especially um, our kind of middle reader, juvenile, um, kids books, young adult, they're just flying off the shelf like candy. And um, it's just fun to see. I've had uh, parents say, this was the place our kids wanted to come to, you know? Out of all the things that they could do here in town, it was like, let's go to the bookstore. So there's a you know, real heartening, um, that's really heartening for us to just see um, that reading and especially our kids is still alive. I don't know if you see that there at the library, but. Um, we do, we do. It's, um, it is extremely heartening. Um, mm -hmm. That's perfect segue into um, library news or library business. We are uh, in the middle of our summer reading program, as I have mentioned before. And uh, I particularly wanted to talk about, there are two, uh, two extra, um, sort of extra things around the summer reading that are worth mentioning. Um, for anyone that would like to join the summer reading, we are um, on an online app called Beanstack. You can find this on the library's website. I'll talk more about that. But um, you log the amount of time that you spend reading minutes. And um, for every minute that you log, it gets, we're, um, we've got an extra program called Pause to Read, where if we, if the community can collectively read a half a million minutes this summer, um, <clears throat> Dominion Energy will donate $1,000 to the Humane Society. Oh, wow. That's exciting. This, yeah, that's really minutes. cool. So, uh, half a million. Yeah, we're, um, we're about, let's see, the last time I checked, we might be just under 30% there. Um, I think uh, people are a little bit tired of online and apps and stuff. So we've seen not quite the, not quite the um, accumulation of minutes this summer. So I'm here to encourage everybody. If you can't figure out how to log on or create an account, just call the library. We'll help. We want to add anything, anytime you've spent reading or listening to audiobooks or reading aloud to a child can go towards um, this wonderful donation from Dominion Energy to the Humane Society. Um, we're celebrating the animal kingdom. Animals are the theme of summer reading this year. And um, uh, as part of it, and uh, I have, um, I'm collecting photographs and artwork uh, of an the animals of Moab. I would like to create an online photo album called A Cavalcade of Critters, The Animals of Moab. Um, people are sending me photos of their pets, their farm animals, wild animals. Um, I've gotten some lovely artwork of animals and um, it's really, really going to be a fun project. I'll post this album online at the end of summer and um, everyone will get to see their beloved critters immortalized in this virtual photo album. I have to say, I feel like I should have a project like this going all the time because it is so fun to get uh, animal pictures in my inbox all day long. <laughs> um, there is nothing more cheerful 
than uh, looking at a picture of a dog or, a, or a, oh, there's a, there's a hilarious chicken named Butter that I'm thinking of right now that some kids sent. They're, they're <laughs> hilarious pet chicken. Anyway, folks, uh, find out more about this at moablibrary.org. You can also call the library at 259-1111. Find out how you can get your pets um, or, or animal friends included in this album. And uh, those are the two, the two projects I'm most excited about right now. Library's not planning to do much in-person programming this summer. We're looking at possibly some films in the fall and um, excitedly putting together an event um, with NASA to um, celebrate the launching of another space telescope uh, in October sometime. Cool. And so, um, yeah, we're, I don't know much about how that's going to look yet, but it's something we're going to do. And uh, that's a really, really exciting project. They're launching another space telescope that will work in concert with Hubble, although Hubble is offline right now. They're having some trouble with it, but it'll add a lot of information to what we know about the universe. So stay tuned for that. Maybe even the, the sighting or two of an alien. Oh, I hope so. That connects us, that connects <laughs> the bookstore into, um, we, we currently have a pretty big UFO collection. Hey, Andy. That's right. <laughs> Talk about that, Andy. <laughs> this was a, a long going odyssey where about four years ago, a, a book scout out of Cottonwood, Arizona had just bid on a storage locker sight unseen full of books. And it turns out there were relatively few books, yet there were about 22 boxes full of an archive of a ufologist named Wendell Stevens, <laughs> who was based out of Tucson. He was the retired Air Force lieutenant. And during his flying years, he began seeing and hearing chatter, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. And he began what was known as the UFO photo archives. And this was a, a brilliant scheme to get people from throughout the world to send him their observations, both written, artistic, and photographic. And he simply compiled these, and from the noted sightings, he would begin to write a series of some 20-plus books about these encounters, including the most famous, likely, uh, the Billy Mayer case in Switzerland. But we inventoried this collection a number of years ago and began to market it to a number of universities and private UFO organizations to no avail, likely because it wasn't a coherent piece of researchable material. It was truly a collection of observations from throughout the world. And so recently we decided to split this archive up, which is really goes against my better judgment, but not finding a taker for the, for the whole, we're splitting it up and we're having a lot of fun talking to collectors throughout the world of this material. <laughs> I'll bet. I can't think of a more, a more interesting subject, really. <laughs> are there any pieces for sale in your store? Or are you doing this all online? We don't have any, any items currently at the store, but it's really easy for us to bring items to the store and that's a great idea. We, we all ask uh, Nat who's working on this along with uh, 
another gal down at the warehouse to uh, maybe bring a few pieces to show. Yeah. Sure. Hey, Jesse, tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit or update us on the status of the Grand County Public Library and the fact that uh, it's fully opened again. You know, funny you should mention that. That is actually probably the biggest piece of news is that uh, about two weeks ago, the library uh, opened its doors fully. We are um, currently operating at our, with our normal hours. No more appointments needed. So that has been really, really wonderful, welcoming the community back all at once. No appointment needed. Hang out as long as you like. Um, that has been really great. We are continuing with curbside service. Patrons let us know that they really appreciated that uh, convenient, quick way to pick up uh, items from the library. So uh, that'll be a continuing service. Castle Valley Library Branch remains closed for the time being. However, Miss Jenny is still providing curbside pickup to the Castle Valley denizens um, out there. So come on in and check out the library. We've got really excellent Wi-Fi. It's uh, a nice, comfortable air-conditioned building, lots of places to sit and work, and um, lots, of, uh, lots of wonderful books. There's, of course, Cosmo the Library Cat, um, who may be strolling by at some point. And, oh, that reminds me, um, speaking of Cosmo the Library Cat, the anyone who enters a... Uh, a picture for the animal, the animals of, of Moab album will be automatically entered into a prize drawing and the prize is a Cosmo the Library Cat t-shirt that we are <laughs> having made. We have little stickers of Cosmo that go out with the um, summer reading registrations and people said, you have to make a t-shirt. We heard this 10, 15 times in the first couple of weeks. So we decided to go for it. Um, big thanks to the friends of the library who as usual are just wonderful at supporting library programs, so. Will these shirts be available for sale if we don't win? That is the plan. So um, we decided to double the initial order so that we will have some for sale at the library. Um, There's supposed to be about a two week, two to three week turnaround on the order coming in. So. Yes, a swing by the library and hopefully those will be on display behind the front desk before long. Um, and uh, boy, that, that Cosmo cat has, uh, he's done wonders as a library ambassador. <laughs> a, a pretty cool cat. Well, shall we talk about books? Sherry, what have you been reading that you'd like to talk about? Well, I am reading an advanced reader copy of the new Jeanette Winterson book that's due out July 29th. So uh, for, for our listeners out there, write this down, get your date in mind and give us a call when, when the end of July approaches, especially if you are a Jeanette Winterson fan, which I am. Me too. And always have been. I had the distinct opportunity of meeting her at the Sh at Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Um, she was there doing an event. So, uh, you know, and I've, I started from the very beginning uh, with her. Oranges are not the only fruit and gone through all of her fiction, all of her nonfiction. 
and uh, she's got some hit and miss for sure. Some things uh, really blow me out of the water and then other things I, you know, like, okay, that was pretty good. Um, and of course, loving her early fiction, the passion, <clears throat> um, lighthouse keeping, but then really, really re reading and rereading her nonfiction, um, art objects and, uh, you know, some of the, the various, um, she did a, a piece on um, Atlas. She sort of retold the myth of Atlas. Uh, it's called Weight. And so, you know, the, you know I've just followed her, loved her, uh, loved her mind at work. And she tends toward going down rabbit holes and finding connections through history. And she does that in her fiction and her nonfiction. And I love rabbit holes and I love finding connections through history. And so I, I, I'm loving this, it's, it's called uh, 12 Bites. And you know, it's a piece of nonfiction that's kind of come out of her last novel called Frank Kiss Stein. And basically, basically she's on the, the road of AI and computers and technology. This is her new rabbit hole. And so from Frank Histein, that's the story of kind of AI fictionally told. So this new nonfiction, 12 Bytes, How We Got Here, Where We Might Go Next, is kind of like the nonfiction version. And so, you know, she's got this kind of rabbit hole obsession with Mary Shelley and Frankens the, you know, Frankenstein itself. And so she's kind of entered this new nonfiction um, book through the lives of uh, Ada Lovelace and Mar Mary Shelley. So we have this kind of Ada Lovelace being, of course, uh, Byron's daughter. And Byron basically said, we will not have you become a poet. So she became a mathematician, which is, is kind of funny. Um, but the, you know, it was like, you will not become this. This is a terrible life to be a poet. And so she had a lot of math tutors and had a lot of um, you know, ability. And so she was part of what they call kind of the first computing system. She was part of the building that. Um, it's a beautiful looking um, machine, actually. Uh, and I've been watching uh, Victoria on, uh, on it, it's streaming on, let's say, I think Amazon. And um, there's a, you know, it's sort of during that time that Vic Queen Victoria meets Ada Lovelace and it's kind of a cool story of, of meeting her. But anyway, here's this kind of first computing system. And then there's this novel, of course, Mary Shelley was with Lord Byron, you know, when the, the, the tale of, of uh, Frankenstein, how, how Mary Shelley actually started writing Frankenstein, um, they were together in this chateau and it was raining and they all decided to write ghost stories. So anyway, she kind of brings these two women and, and then kind of proceeds to give us a telling of sort of the history of technology and then where she thinks we're going with AI. And she definitely, what, what's so great about Jeanette Winterson is she's very, she brings all this kind of cultural richness to her work. 
Um, but she's talking about something so technical. And so um, she's, she's really, interestingly enough, quite pro-AI and kind of looking to how humans might merge in collective ways with this kind of, you know, AI technology and how we, connectivity is really where we're going, like smart houses, smart cars, you know, all of this thing. But she is also, um, you know, really giving a lot of warnings. And if we go this way, we're not going to be, you know, we, we definitely want to try and relieve suffering along the way. So she brings this interesting Buddhist piece into the advancement of technology. Um, but it's, you know, she's way on her game on this one. And you definitely, um, you know, it, she's just a gifted writer. She, she does her research. She's able to talk about computer language in a way that kind of blew me away. Um, it made me excited about going down those rabbit holes. And so um, again, it's Jeanette Winderson's 12 Bites. It's out in late July. Um, how we got here, where we might go next. She's, um, you know, she's on the cutting edge uh, and getting us thinking about the, I would say the ethical implications of, um, you know, artificial intelligence. And but it sounds like she's more optimistic than some other authors of, of similar she books. Is. Yeah, she is pretty optimistic, although she, you know, she goes into really scary stuff like, you know, um, like sex bots and you know the robots that are being used in, you know, kind of or or you know like the the way we're using it. If we're going to stay in this kind of greedy mentality, then that's what we're going to create. Create. And um, so she, she definitely has a lot to say about the ethics of where we're headed. And she's giving some really, um, I think, uh, yeah, an optimistic view of where we might head if we can think about it and stay pretty um, conscious about the whole thing. So yeah. um, cool. Yeah, she's an amazingly flexible writer. She she has touched on several different genres and just masterful in each yeah. one from the biography and now this piece of nonfiction and yeah. her her um her it's I guess fantasy uh, what would you call her her earlier novels The Passion yeah. Oranges Aren't the would, Only Fruit Sexing would, the Cherry Yeah, I wouldn't call them necessarily fantasy. I would call them she's able to stay like with this really rich spine of literature mm -hmm. she stays really true to i think the literary model um not to say fantasy is not literary but you know i would say it's true fiction but she kind of brings in she's able to just like pull in things from you know all sorts of places without it really necessarily seem, seeming too fantastical. Yeah, I guess magical realism. Yes, maybe. I would call yeah. it magic. There yeah, we go. She brings okay. in a lot of like the tarot and, um, you know, definitely things that are more, you know, different ways of knowing that um, she's, she's willing to uh, sort of risk, you know, bringing that kind of stuff in. So, yeah. Phenomenal. Thank you, Sherry. How about you, Andy? Well, I would like to reserve my time to group all my books together into one. 
if I may, rather than going in a round robin. So, uh, because it, the three books I want to talk about are very thematic and goes to the heart of the pandemic and this idea that we need to go out into nature because it's a safe place. First off is Douglas Ptolemy's The Nature of Oaks, The Rich Ecology of Our Most Essential Native Trees. And I'll read you a blurb from the jacket, but then I'll give you my take. In Nature of Oaks, Ptolemy pays homage to a giant of the plant kingdom, the mighty oak tree. Oaks sustain a crucial and complex web of wildlife above ground, but are just as impressive underground producing enormous root systems that make them champions of carbon sequestration, soil stabilization, and watershed management, blah, blah, blah. That all sounds like somewhat academic. But how he does this is he takes a giant oak tree in his front yard in Pennsylvania, and he goes through the 12 months of the life cycle of this tree. And then he brings in all this great material about what oaks are doing and in particular, his one singular oak. And so it makes it a very personable, I feel this oak tree in my bones, so to, so to speak, book. And it inspired me so much that I went out and I bought an oak and I planted it. And I may never get to see it reach its full potential. And desert oaks are, are really difficult to, to propagate but our local nursery has done a great job of getting some shrub oaks uh, that she has gathered acorns and has propagated them. And so it just inspired me on a very individualistic single species level. From there, I go into a slightly wider ecosystem and I wanna talk about home waters, a human and natural history of the Puget Sound. Now, you might ask, why would I talk about the Puget Sound on KZMU when we're stuck in the middle of a desert? But I have found in working at the bookstore that we have a huge connection between the Pacific Northwest and the deserts Southwest. It seems to be this corridor. And I've been able to hand sell this book to many people who live up in the Pacific Northwest. And what David Williams has done, and in full disclosure, David used to live in Moab and he's a part owner of Back of Beyond Books. But what David has done is he looks at the Puget Sound ecosystem, both from a human perspective, but also a natural history perspective. So he talks about the kelp forests. He talks about clams. He talks about gooey ducks. He talks about all these individual species and how they're all interconnected within the healthiness of a broader ecosystem. And there are millions of people living right on the shores of the Puget Sound, especially in the Seattle area. And it's an extremely fragile ecosystem. And it's one that is uh, currently threatened. And it's one that he shows that we can, by human action, actually recover. So he, he doesn't go into the orcas, he doesn't go into the salmon, the, the megafauna that we all know about, but he goes into the, the smaller level ecosystems and critters in these ecosystems to tie it all together. And I think he's done a, a masterful job of that. And I think 
anyone who understands or wants to understand broader ecosystem management, this is a, a wonderful layperson's look where David has, has taken all the scientific writing and he's done all the interviewing and he ties it all together. So that's Home Waters, a human and natural history of the Puget Sound. And to fill out my trilogy, I then move into a worldwide ecosystem. And to do that, I've picked up a world on the wing, the global odyssey of migratory birds by Scott Wiedensall. Scott has been writing about birds his entire career. He is not a scientist, nor is David Williams, but they hang out with scientists and they take the scientific literature and they rework it into a form that the layperson can understand and enjoy. And what Scott has done is taken the amazing advancements in understanding global migratory patterns of birds. And the way we've done this is through the ability to put microtransmitters on these species of birds and learn more about not only their resting spot in the north to breed and their wintering spots in the south to overwinter, but all the spots in between. And what he has found is that while it's important to maintain the healthy ecosystems in the north and south, it's as important or more so to maintain the healthy stopping points along the way of these migratory species. And through the ability to track these species on a daily basis, as opposed to simply tagging them and find, mist netting them in the north or south, we're finding how critical it is for these layovers uh, for these species and how imperiled so many of them are. We've done a good job of doing inventories, again, where they breed and where they overwinter, but we now are able to connect all of it together. And as John Muir said, everything is indeed connected. When you tug at one thing, you find everything else attached. And this book, A World on the Wing, just points that out uh, in a way I've never read before. And it's a sobering book, but again, he also throws in some hope. So uh, A World on the Wing, The Global Odyssey of Migratory Birds by Scott Wiedensalt. And there ends my trilogy of worldwide ecosystems from the, the microsystems to the macro to the world. Nice. It's a great, a great combination there. Well, I'd like to remind our listeners that you are listening to Radio Book Club, Hardback Radio on KZMU 106.7 and 90.1 on your FM dial. I'm Jesse from the Grand County Public Library, joined by Andy and Sherry of Back of Beyond Books. I this week uh, read, I actually still have about one chapter left to go. I couldn't quite finish it this morning, but I read the brand new Natasha Pulley book. It is called The Kingdoms. And um, I previously read, and I believe I reviewed um, her book, um, The Lost Future of Pepper Harrow. And The Watchmaker of Filigree Street are the two previous books that I read by her. You could call her 
um, she's she's a little bit genre bending. It's um, she's a really really excellent writer. You would probably call it fantasy. Um, there, uh, it's a little bit steampunk. Her previous books, um, they're all steampunk fantasies, I would say, but extremely well written and um, very intelligent. And all of them, cre- all three of the books that I've read, create extremely believable wor- worlds, very intricate and um, fleshed out and filled out with perfect detail uh, that make that make the worlds you're reading about um, absolutely actually inhabitable. So The Kingdoms by Natasha Pulley did not disappoint. Um, this is a, a time travel book, which I, I as usual, I found uh, the hopping back and forth time a little bit confusing, but it all pulls together just fine in the end. Um, I I have a little trouble holding multiple threads of existing in the same person existing in different times and therefore different realities uh, influencing this person's life in the future. It it does get really complicated. I cannot imagine how complex, complicated it would be to write a time travel book. since it's a little bit hard to follow as a reader. So all right, my hat's off to Natasha Pulley. Um, this book, The Kingdoms, asks the question, is it, worth, is it worth changing history, changing the future, in this case, of your beloved country, England, um, from losing the Napoleonic Wars to France? This is the, this is the reality. Uh, France won that battle, the, the de- decisive battle of Trafalgar in this book and, uh, and caught, you know, took over England and almost all people of English descent by the time this story begins are enslaved by the French. Um, England's been under French rule for some time. This person wakes up in a, in a train, on a train getting off of the station in London in um, early Edwardian times, about 1903, I'm going to say. And he doesn't remember who he is. He doesn't remember why he's on a train or where he's going. Uh, He vaguely recognizes place names. Um, He winds up in an asylum, having been diagnosed with uh, a sort of, they, they think that his memory trouble is from epilepsy. They say, you're not the only one that's waking up having no memories of the past and waking up and feeling like you're in a new world. This has been going on. Other people are experiencing the same thing. Well, this character, Joe, winds up, he's got a, a little bit of a memory triggered by a a postcard photo of a lighthouse um, out on the northern northern islands um, off the tip of Scotland. This picture of a lighthouse joggles something in his memory, so he finds um, finds a way to get to this lighthouse by uh, volunteering to um, be the engineer that goes and fixes this lighthouse. And on the voyage to the lighthouse in a ship, his boat passes through two enormous stone pillars. And what he sees when he gets to the lighthouse makes no sense at all. Strange things start to happen. And um, we realize that those stone pillars are a portal. France and England are, he's gone back to the past here. And I can't divulge very much about it without, uh, without spoiling some of the really fun surprises in this book. 
France and England, the, the navies are both aware of this portal and have been using future technology to influence the outcome of the war. There are wonderful characters in this book. It's essentially a love story and the, it's a queer love story uh, we discover. And the, the people that he loves are on two, two separate ends of time. If he helps England win the war in the past, in the Napoleonic Wars, he likely will lose his beloved daughter who is born to him in the future. And so how can he help save England and these people that he grows to care about? And we learn how have been traveling with him in and out of time all along, although he doesn't remember, he will likely lose his darling daughter, Lily. Um, and so I can highly, highly recommend this book. Uh, call it Speculative Steampunk Fiction, The Kingdoms by Natasha Pulley. Um, there's wonderful imagery in this um, in this book all the way through. I could read, I could read, I, I tried to pick just one passage to read and gave up because there's so many, so many good bits in this book. So I found it, um, the, the history I found, I found to be very interesting. Some of it's made up, some of it's not, all woven together. I'm a real fan, as some of you know, of the Patrick O'Brien uh, novels um, about the Napoleonic Wars. And those ones are just top notch, um, full of the historical detail. And I found this book to be, um, to be pretty good and uh, actually not a terrible comparison. If you like Patrick O'Brien, you might try The Kingdoms by Natasha Julie, full of wonderful characters really, really exciting story, ties together quite well at the end. Got me thinking about um, time travel books. Um, I've read a few, I, I looked up a, a bunch of them online today just to get ideas of what some, I mean, there's tons and tons I haven't read. I found the time traveler's wife to be a little bit insipid and disappointing. Although Audrey Niffenegger has written some other books that I do like better. My very favorite time travel book has to be Life After Life by um, Kate Atkinson. Have you ever read Kate Atkinson or read Life After Life, Sherry? I have not, but what else has she written? Maybe I can look that up. She but, is, uh, let's see, I'm gonna blank out on this here. She has written, she's an English author and she's written um, a detective series that I think she's most- Oh, that's right. That's right. No, I have or, not. I have not read anything by Kate Atkinson. Yeah. Sounds good though. Life yeah. Life. Have you got any favorite um, favorite time travel novels or or good ones that you that you like? Well, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, the first one I just think of is Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> and how much I loved that as a child just so um so magical in in a way for me and also it had some of that uh that it's interesting kind of thinking about time even 12 bytes the one I just reviewed this sort of time space continuum um is is definitely part of uh, that book the the Jeanette Winterson book and and I loved kind of this idea of bringing a little bit of science and physics into that, like where mm -hmm. time bends, you know, and I'm trying to think what other 
Andy, can you think of any other time well, travel books? The first thing that came to mind isn't necessarily time travel, but it's a lot of the Jules Verne books that mm-hmm. he as a, you know, a 19th century, early 19th century author nailed the future so well in, in terms of the science and what was possible and what has come about. Uh, so not strictly time travel, but you mentioned the time traveler's wife. And I, I beg to differ. I really enjoyed Audrey's <laughs> take. And it's not a genre that I, I look for. And so when you brought that up, you kind of stole my one time traveler novel. And of course, Wrinkle <laughs> the Time, Sherry, who you, you can't beat it. And, and that deserves to be reread. Uh, and I may take that on my trip. That's a great idea. Excellent. Well, perhaps I I will give that one another chance. I would compare it to the first one I read by her, by uh, Audrey Niffenegger was her, her, excuse me, her fearful symmetry, which is actually a ghost story, a very grown up, um, mature ghost story. um, And I found that one to be really fresh and delightful. um, Well, and also, Dusty, can we not mention the Diana Gabaldon books, you know, I mean, that's like oh. Outlanders. You know, I mean, talk about time, you know, time sort of going back and coming forward, going back. And, and I honestly have not read those, but I do remember in the first bookstore I worked in up in uh, Northern Utah, the women that would come in, you know, after they got done with the first one and then they're coming in with the second one and they're kind of like, you know, hot under the collar and, <laughs> and, and, yes. and then the third one and a little hotter under the collar. And I was like, wow, what's going on in those steamy, those steamy novels? <laughs> I did I experience that too. Yeah. Yeah. But I oh. guess you should do a nod to that one. Um, and of course, remember somewhere in time, um, it, the, it was originally a novel for, by Richard Matheson, and it was it, it turned out into a movie with Christopher Reeve and um, can't remember the actress, but you know, like this love story about wanting to get back into an era of time to reconnect with your lover. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, interesting. Um, Time travel is a little bit scary. I don't know if I would want to go back. I'm the butterfly effect seems um, seems like such a such a sensitive and delicate delicate thing. Just the tiniest things. I just I love thinking about it. Um, what yeah. what one tiny what tiny one tiny change today could mean for years down the road. So yeah, lots to talk about there. Um, Another book I have read or rather listened to lately that I enjoyed a lot was called um, A World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments. This author is um, actually a poet. um, And her name is? Her name is, and we're going to give it a shot here, (laughs) Amy (laughs) Nezuka Matatal. Nezuka Matatal. I've always wondered. I love the internet. Um, I love looking at <laughs> using it to learn how to pronounce things. And I found a, vo- a, vo- a voice recording of her pronouncing her name. So Excellent. that is how that I wrote Thank it you. out in my goofy phonetic way. So she's a beloved poet, Amy Nezukumatotl. 
this is a debut work of nonfiction for her, a collection of essays about the natural wor world and the way its inhabitants can teach, support, and inspire us. Um, I found this to be just a really gentle and lovely book. The audiobook um, is read by her, and she has a lovely lyrical, sweet voice. So even when she's discussing, there are a few few gruesome, you know, the natural world. There's sometimes something gru gruesome to um, to discover. Even when she's <laughs> discussing some of this, her voice is just so soft and lovely, um, and her her views and observations I found to be just really delightful. Um, it was um, it was a soothing, I had it in my car, so I listened to it on the way to and from work and running errands, and I just found it to be a lovely soothing counterpoint to the sometimes stresses of driving in traffic. And it's a milkweed yeah. edition book, as is Braiding Sweetgrass. Ah, yes. And milkweed has been doing, they don't publish a lot, but what they are publishing is just stellar. Good, good. Um, she teaches us about, she's got chapters about peacocks and the lovely axolotl, which I will let you guys look up. If you do not know what an axolotl is, um, you definitely want to search that on the internet and find photographs. That is a, um, that is spelled A-X-O-L-O-T-L, -O -O axolotl. And I believe they are from Central America these lovely little, uh, they're salamanders, but they have this hilariously cartoonish smiley face um, and delicate little gills on the sides of their face. And they're really, really charming. This is about narwhals and peacocks and axolotls and fireflies as mentioned and um, plants, animals, insects, and just her curiosity and thoughtfulness and observation were really refreshing and lovely. Um, and I, I would highly recommend the audiobook. I understand that the print version has really gorgeous illustrations. And so the audiobook, I think they often have a disc with a PDF on the on the end. I forget if this one did, but you um, get the print version, you'll get lovely illustrations, get the audiobook, and you'll hear her very sweet, lovely, melodious voice uh, read to you. Anybody else have a book they'd like to talk about? Well, I was thinking about, um, you know, the this kind of beautiful side of nature. And for the newsletter, I reviewed a book called The Kissing Bug by Daisy Hernandez. And it was an unexpected, very, very good read, actually. Um, I, I listened to that one. And so it was one of those that just kept my attention the entire time. It's literally about a, an insect uh, that is, you know, the uh, Chagas, that the, the, the insect that carries the Chagas disease in its little belly or the virus um, in its little belly and, uh, you know, bites uh, people in mostly um, South Central America and Mexico generally on the eye or the mouth it's kind of interesting where they get a you know a, a, a bite mark um, but then they you know there are some folks that actually end up um, getting this virus and what's really amazing i think
think about the kissing bug is Daisy ends up, she's, uh, her parents are from, they're immigrants, first generation. They're, they're living in New Jersey uh, through, through the 80s. Uh, she actually ends up as a, a journalist and this is how she kind of uh, ended up writing this story. Uh, but she, her mom came from Colombia. Her dad was from Cuba, actually. They were all, and she grew up in, in uh, New Jersey. And her auntie, her tia, um, came over in the 80s and started to live with them. And she had the kissing bug disease. She had Chagas. And so it, it was this living, uh, the aunt lived with them for quite a while. And she saw this, you know, this aunt become sicker and sicker. Although she did have, uh, a, a, she actually was able to get quite a um, very, very good medical attention. Uh, but it was, you know, this sickness where they, you know, she saw her aunt dying, really, but no one really talked about it. It was, she, she grew up with a, a, an extreme fear of bugs, but she didn't know why, you know, she knew her aunt was dying because of a bug, but no one, there was just not a lot of, um, just there wasn't a lot of talking about it and so this is the story of this niece who basically you know watches her aunt die and then you know it kind of changes the course of her life and she decides to go to bat for this disease and ends up doing this incredible journalistic work um and to discover kind of what's going on with what she calls a poor person's disease where you know, the, there's just not a lot of research around Chagas disease. Um, the, it can be passed from a mother to her child. There's not like any testing, you know? And so she, it's like she um, kind of took this love uh, of this aunt and, and, and there's, a, there's beautiful rapport between her and her aunt, even though her aunt was kind of spicy in many ways too. Um, because in the course of this story, she comes out as bisexual and the aunt doesn't approve of that. So, you know, there's a complex relationship between her and her aunt. But at the same time, it reads as a love story to this aunt. And like, I'm going to, you know, she basically decided to do all she could do to research this disease. And kind of, in my mind, single-handedly has gotten the word out. Um, you know, what it's like, what it's about. Um, how it's carried. And so kind of, I guess, in the age of the of pandemic, um, oddly enough, it was something really interesting for me to read. She's an excellent writer. She does her journalistic duty. So she brings all the science in. She, there's one point where she goes down to Colombia, where her family's from, and goes out bug hunting, where you have to do it at night. Ah with these research bug hunters. And, you know, she ends up having to sit there while they call, come crawling towards you, ready to put their little needle nose into your flesh. And then of course they, they, they collect them. And then she gets to see the virus itself under a microscope. Um, she talks to all sorts of researchers and scientists 
And yet at the same time, you get this beautiful kind of Latin American, um, just this, just the way she loves her aunt. It, it's just singular in that sense that in her particular, you know, way of loving. And the role that the auntie and the uncle, you know, play in, in their culture is very strong and beautiful. So that's The Kissing Bug by Daisy Hernandez. Interesting. What made you pick that book up, Sherry? No. That's kind of random. Very random. I heard her on a little snippet on NPR. I think that's what Very it was. Good. Nice. And, um, you know, just the way that I do love the role of the auntie and the uncle. I, I, I've always been quite fascinated with that and what role that, that they play within people's lives. Yeah. Whether it be strongly, in, you know, strongly close or not close at all. And so I think that particular aspect of it was what drew me in. But her science and her journalism is straight up so good so you really get to know and also in i, I was going to say in uh, my um the review i did in the newsletter i when i was traveling through asia it was you were all about what bit you you know it was just like you go to your your hostel that night and everyone's saying like well i got this bite and i got 12 days of dysentery and you know it's a wonder for myself all the traveling i did all over the world really that i didn't you know it didn't come back with a major virus so anyways <laughs> well done andy is there anything else you'd like to mention i realize we haven't talked about the bestseller list is there anything um anything on that list or additionally that you'd like to to mention in the last few minutes here well from a literary perspective i'm leaving for a few weeks on a vacation and so it gave me an opportunity to shop for summer reads and I found it kind of curious how I went about shopping this summer. And while I own a bookstore, I went to the staff pick section and I picked up a novel, Martin Martin. And this is by the late Yay! Doyle. And then I also mm -hmm. picked up from Sherry's shelf, Shakespeare and Company by Sylvia B. Oh, yeah. Is a biography Yay. of the French bookstore. And so those two are on my summer reading. And then Gretel Ehrlich has a brand new book out called Unsolaced. She, of course, what, 25 years ago, wrote The Solace of Open Spaces, which really affected me personally. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to Unsolaced. <laughs> Finally, I picked up um, the author of Boys in the Boat has an epic nonfiction look at uh, Japanese internment camps and facing the mountain. And I'm really interested in, in reading this. And finally, I picked up a periodical from Orion Magazine and their latest summer issue. So that's what's on my shelf for the next several weeks on vacation. I love it. Great mix. Yeah, great mix. Uh, is there anything on that? Anything else you'd like to mention off the bestseller list or otherwise, Sherry? Uh, let's see. Um, I what am I excited about on that? I'm kind of looking at it right now. I have queued up, but I have to say I don't know a whole lot about it. It's called Somebody's Daughter oh, by yeah. Ashley Ford. Again, um, nonfiction memoir. And um, it's looking like this is a woman, she, I don't think she's that old, maybe 30 something, maybe even 20 something, 
And her father was um, in prison for many years. And you know, she sort of grew up with a dad in prison. And she didn't know what he did. And she, you know, it was, it was really hush hush as far as what he actually, what he actually committed. Um, and so this is a story of her kind of coming to into this relationship with her father um, when he's released and coming to terms with, you know, um, what what got him into prison. And, and she's um, a woman of color. And, you know, I think it's uh, also a story of race as well. And I'm excited to, to read it. I have to say, I haven't even picked it up yet, but I do have it queued up um, in, uh, in my stacks. <laughs> Very good. I look forward to hearing more about that one. Somebody's Daughter will have a book review from you for next month's radio yes, book club. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the top of the hour. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Book Club, Hardback Radio. Auntie and Sherry from Back Beyond Bookstore, and I'm Jessie from Grand County Public Library. Hope you all enjoyed this. Please come visit us at the library and bookstore, and we will send you home with stacks of reading. Um, thank, thank you very much, everyone. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.